Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and as always, I got my co-host, Matt, here with me. And we are here to recap a very eventful first wave of Jets Free Agency. We even got some breaking news right as we sat down here to record. So I'll go ahead and lead things off the start of the show with the news that just dropped, and that is that Vikings tight end Tyler Conklin is going to be signed on by the Jets. We don't know the terms of the contract yet. Uh, This is another tight end, the second one they've signed so far. Uh, Had close to 600 yards and 61 catches last year, so he's an impact player, a good receiving option. This is not a a nothing uh, addition. Uh, Pretty good timing for us to grab this right as things got off going and we started recording. But Matt, let's go right into the rest of the signings here because we haven't really got too much news on Conklin yet. We can get into the other guys for sure. In your opinion, what was the best signing overall of their first wave of free agency? I'm going to go with uh, Lakin Tomlinson from the 49ers. Uh, He's 30 years old, so he's not a spring chicken, but he's still uh, relatively young for an offensive lineman who could probably play into their mid thirties. So he probably even has another contract after this one ends. Uh, he knows the system coming from the 49ers. Uh, and he's a, a, a junkyard dog as well. He loves to put people in the dirt. Uh, I, I like him a lot. I, and more importantly, we now have a solidified starting offensive line. We don't really know who's going to be playing the tackle or which tackle spots. But I think we can say with uh, a relative certainty that it's going to be Fant and, and Becton playing both of those spots, respectively. Um, so all that was really left as a question mark was our right guard. Uh, now, before free agency started, I maybe wanted to shy away from Tomlinson because he's pretty much only played left guard exclusively throughout his career. Uh, so making the move at 30 years old to right guard was kind of itching my brain a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, if they have the confidence that he can make this move, uh, I have the confidence that he can make this move. He's a pro's pro. Uh, I, he knows the system. So the fact that he doesn't need to learn a completely different scheme uh, leads me to believe that the, the learning curve moving to right guard probably won't be that much of a serious thing. 
and just having a solidified offensive line, I feel like is just extremely important, not just to solidify the unit, but also to give uh, Zach Wilson uh, something in front of him that he can look forward to. He can now maybe sit back, relax, well, maybe not relax, but he can sit back and, and truly grow and not have to worry about being under pressure constantly. Uh, if this group can stay healthy, I think they could be one of the best offensive lines in at least the AFC East for sure. Yeah, I think so too. This was definitely a, a really good signing. Uh, it's not my pick for the best one, but I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself. I do want to talk about Tomlinson for sure. Um, overall, I think this is the best player the Jets have added throughout free agency so far. If you're just looking at quality of player, where they would rank amongst other positions in the NFL, I think Tomlinson is the overall best addition they've made. Um, absolutely, I think is going to solidify that right guard spot because at the very least, even if his play does slightly dip making a switch over to right guard, he's going to be such an improvement from Greg Van Roten that it's not going to be the obvious hole that's creating such problems where everybody else on the line does their job great and Greg Van Roten does his job so terribly that it destroys the play. So I think there is going to be a baseline of competence there, and that's what the Jets paid for. And to maybe ease your concerns a little bit, he played right guard for like 52 games in college. So it's not like he's never played right guard. He did switch when he got to the NFL and eventually has stayed at left guard for most of his time there. So it will be some time going back. But we also got to remember that the Jets staff, specifically John Benton, Michael Floor, and Robert Sala, were around this guy for years in San Francisco. They were there from 2017 um, up until the last season when they just left with the Jets. And Lakin Tomlinson was on um, the 49ers since 2017 after his two first years in Detroit. So they're very familiar with this player. And they've been very familiar with this player recently. And so I don't think that they would be making this move if they had not been in contact with him up front about what they were hoping for, saying mm -hmm. this is where we would like to play you. And if Lakin Tomlinson himself was not comfortable and confident in his abilities to do that, I don't think that he would be on board with the transition. And conversely, if the Jets uh, and their staff and their personnel um, coaches hadn't got the chance to see him up close and personal for so many years, I don't think they would be on as on board with it either. But the fact that they were around him and they're this willing to be committed makes me think that they really, really targeted this guy. If this was the guy they really wanted, then I can understand it a little more. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, everything's pointing towards him making a smooth transition uh, and really solidifying this line. Uh, I'm really looking forward to see what he can do. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm, I'm really excited for this line. I think regardless of how the tackles pan out, I think we're going to have two solid tackles. I think now we got two solid guards. And if Connor McGovern is the worst member of our offensive line, we got a pretty good unit. Um, mm -hmm, I'm definitely absolutely. excited for that for sure. Um, my best signing of the week surprisingly, I think, because it was one that I really wasn't anticipating was Jordan Whitehead. And mm, the reason yeah. it's Jordan Whitehead is because this is absolute thievery by Joe Douglas. Two years for $14.5 million for Jordan Whitehead. That is an ascending player uh, in Tampa, uh, Tampa's defense the last couple of years at strong safety. He's not the most amazing ball hawking safety coverage player in the world, but he's by no means a liability. He makes plays in coverage and he's definitely sound. I got into his tape a little bit this morning. I really liked what I saw. Um, he will knock your dang head off in the run game. The Jets run game or run defense got a heck of a lot better this week with um Jordan Whitehead and DJ Reed, who I'm sure we'll talk about soon, but Whitehead in particular, I think he's ascending. 
I think he's he's really starting to turn the corner. I think this is a perfect fit for his skill set where he's going to be the Cam Chancellor enforcer and he's going to be the matchup weapon against tight ends and the player and the force player in the run game. I, I just think it fits everything he does so well. And this is a deal for the Jets in particular where this is a prove it deal for Jordan Whitehead where they get to say, you're still young. I'm pretty sure he's only 25. He is 24. Oh, yeah, he's turning 25 this year. Turning 25. He's not even 25 yet. So in two years, he'll be turning 27. And the Jets will have paid him $14.5 million when he's already ascending and already a really good player. And the Jets are going to have the option to either reward him for that money and keep him as an important piece of the system, or if they don't think he's worth it, they can let him walk and they're not going to be on the hook at all. And they got him for really cheap in the meantime. I love this contract. This is such a good deal for the Jets. I cannot stress it enough. They are going to get a perfect fit safety that I honestly think is going to play his way into another contract with the team in two years, or at the very least is going to be the type of player where if he walks, you know, he's walking because he's getting more money on the open market than the Jets can make up. And hopefully in two years, the Jets are good enough to where that's going to happen. That's going to be the goal eventually is to be the team that's letting the free agents go because you're the winner and you can't pay everybody and not the team signing the free agents because you need to get better. I'm I will. Again, I love this deal. I think it's a perfect fit schematically. I think it's a perfect fit from a culture perspective. He's Darrell Revis's cousin, not even to yeah. mention like he played at Pitt just like his cousin Darrell Revis did. There's actually uh, from the video of Revis getting drafted at his draft party at home. You can see Jordan Whitehead sitting in a Revis jersey off in the corner of the screen. And once his, uh, Revis's name is called, which I thought is really cool as just, you know, a side connection. But outside of that, outside of the, the cool Revis connection and the Jets stuff there, which I love. And outside of his pinned tweet on Twitter, which is him responding to a heckler uh, and a video of him uh, laying out a receiver over the middle, which just, nah, I hit hard. That's all great, and I love it. But everything on the field and everything from a team-building perspective and a financial perspective about this deal is that much better. I cannot stress enough how great of a signing this is. Yeah, I really couldn't agree more. Uh, I was watching his tape earlier as well, and he definitely flashed a lot. Uh, between his eyes, he's he's very uh, uh, good at uh, with viewing the field and seeing everything, uh, and he takes great angles to the ball yep. carrier. And when he, he triggers, it's yep. full speed downhill, or as some Jets fans would like to say, all gas, no brakes. Yep, that that click and close ability is is amazing. With those eyes, is is dangerous. Uh, and he's not afraid to take on blockers. You'll see him take on offensive linemen that are most definitely a lot bigger than him. And he's fearless. He'll just he'll take them on straight on, or he'll even duck around them, or he'll 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 use his balance through contact very well. Uh, and he makes the tackles most of the time. He had over forty-one defensive stops last year, which is yeah. pretty insane. Uh, he's going to be around the ball a lot. He is a gnat. He flies to the ball wherever it is. Uh, and he's, yeah, like you said, he's the perfect fit. Uh, contract numbers aside, uh, I really couldn't see us uh, doing anything better at this point. Uh, and like you said, with his age, uh, the other option was maybe the Honey Badger. Uh, I think we did very well uh, getting a, a player that we can actually put some uh, assets toward in the future, uh, not just a rental. I, I do like this signing a lot. Yeah, I, I think it's different 
um, when you look at what the Jets did on offense, and I think this will be a good transition into CJ Uzama, where they went for older players on offense because they wanted the veteran experience. They wanted to obviously have the players that know what they're doing to help their young quarterback, but they went for potential growth and talent and upside on defense where they're going to get guys that can still come in and start and be really good starters right now that know the scheme that they're not going to have to wait to develop. But these guys aren't aged out veterans to where at the end of their contracts, they're going to be too old or by the time before they get to the end of their contracts, they're going to be not playing like they're worth that money anymore. These are guys that can earn second contracts with the jets. These are guys that could be pieces down the road that really, really flourish and become building blocks of the team. And if they're not, it's not long deals and it's not a lot of money where you're not paying top dollar for a guy like JC Jackson, or you're not paying uh, top dollar for a Marcus Williams. I thought if the jets were going to add a free safety, the guy that I would have paid a bunch of money to is Jesse Bates. We mentioned that a ton of times on this podcast. Mm-hmm. He didn't hit the market. He got tagged. Sometimes that happens. The Jets were in on Marcus Williams and for what the Ravens are paying him, you know, it certainly seems like the amount of money might've been somewhat close to it, but give me, give me Jordan Whitehead for two years for $14.5 million over five years for $75 million from Marcus Williams every day and twice on Sunday. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. And so I think that that is, Really, really the interesting distinction. Um, getting back to Oza- uh, Uzama, this is an almost was my pick for best signing as well, because I think when you look at the value of the type of player that he is, he had a career year last year in Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati's scheme is very similar to the Jets scheme. Uh, Zach Taylor, uh, their head coach, was the quarterback coach for Sean McVay and the Rams before he went over to the Bengals. The Rams and 49ers systems are basically the same thing. So familiarity wise, He's another player that's familiar with the scheme that has flourished in the scheme that has flourished with a young quarterback. He's got good size. He can block, he can get uh, passes downfield. There's a clip of him against the Ravens scoring a 55 yard touchdown on single coverage against Marlon Humphrey. Uh, This guy's got a ton of potential. And I think he's just been waiting for his opportunity to really put it together. The Bengals, had had a lot of tight ends for many years. They drafted him in the middle of rounds uh, in 2015. Um, they had had guys like Tyler, um, Tyler, what, oh, what was his name? The Notre Dame tight end, Tyler Eifert. Um, they had had Tyler Eifert. They had Tyler Crawford a period of time before that. Um, they had had some guys already in place. And I think that once he got his opportunity this year and he started forming some chemistry with Joe Burrow, we really started to see him take over and he got better and better. I really love his potential in this offense. I love his fit um from a culture standpoint from every indication he seems like a great leader great teammate awesome piece to have in the locker room and he just played in a super bowl a lot of another theme with all of these guys is that they have playoff experience that they were not going to accept losing that they didn't bring guys in that clearly they didn't bring guys in and it's not we paid all these veterans that have already won and now they're just looking for a check because they didn't give anybody extremely huge amount of dollars in top market value these guys are coming here because they believe they can win here. And I think that's another really speaks to Uzama as well, who was just on a Super Bowl team. Yeah, it really does. Uh, I can't think of a single person of uh, uh, free agent uh, that we signed that somebody could say we overpaid for. Uh, and that's something that usually teams like the Jets would need to do. Uh, people view the, the, the Jets as a rebuilding team, as a team that's not really a a desirable destination. So when you have players of this quality actually signing on, 
I think they're signing on for a good reason. They're buying into this vision that Solid and Joe Douglas are putting together. Uh, they're painting a picture and everybody's looking at it and liking it. Uh, yeah, like you said, Uzama coming from a Super Bowl team to our team. An ascending Again, team at an that. Ascending, not, a, yeah. not a team that's that people think are going to be, you know, one and done or, you know, or, or a flash in the pan or aging no. veterans. And, you know, they, they had their run like the 2015 Broncos. You know, this is the the Bengals were were the next team. They were the next team to to beat. They they have the ascending. They still are. Joe Burrow will be right. They still are. Yeah. No. None of that has changed. None of that was false when it was said before, and it still isn't now. It's it really really speaks to what the the Jets are building and what Robert Sala is thought about by players around the league because it's not again it's not like Uzama is getting a ton of money. He got the same nope. exact contract as Will Disley in Seattle, and granted the Seahawks overpaid Will Disley, but it's it, look at what Evan Ingram got in Jacksonville. He's making more uh, by significantly more to go play uh, with Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville on a one-year contract. The Jets got um, Uzama for two years for just over fifteen and a half million guaranteed. Um, the total contract was three years for $24 million, but in essence, it's $8 million a year for two years. It's nothing. It, it's, it's, it's nothing. Compared to, to that, it's, it's really an amazing signing. Uh, and like most tight ends in this kind of uh, scheme, he needs to be able to do both, be a receiver and block. Yes. He was uh, in PFF's uh, past blocking uh, rankings. I believe he was ranked 10th of all tight ends that played more than 50% of snaps. And he's also lines up in the slot and he's a very good receiver. Uh, he uses big body six, six two sixty five frame very well at shielding defenders off. Uh, and he's a load to bring down. I've seen him many right times after the catch, just bowling over people or running through arm tackles. He knows how to get that yak. Uh, so he is the perfect fit for our offense. And I think it's worth mentioning how the void of talent that we had at the tight end position. Uh, we went into this uh, offseason with who is it? Griffin as our only Griffin and Kenny Yaboa and Yaboa as our ends. as our season tight ends. So the the dearth of talent there was abundantly clear. Uh, so this kind of move was much needed, and not just that; it's a player that I think we will actually really rally behind uh last year we picked up croft and we were saying you know what i think that in this scheme uh they'll be able to scheme him open they'll get him the yards much like tanya in, in uh green bay uh they'll they'll scheme him open and give him production that way but with uzama i think he can produce himself he can get separation yep. he can get the yak uh and having that on the field i think is valuable yeah absolutely um this is going to be an interesting discussion and I don't want to spend too, too long on this because I do want to get into DJ Reed next. Uh, the last major free agent we haven't talked about yet. So I'm very excited about him too, but um, speaking with the tight ends in particular, now knowing just as we started recording that they signed Tyler Conklin too, that's another guy. Again, Minnesota Vikings um, are Gary Kubiak's son. His first name is escaping me uh, is their offensive coordinator after it was Gary Kubiak to start with. Gary Kubiak is the same thing as Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan. They're all Mike Shanahan 
Denver, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, and then Washington Disciples. That's all from that system. Gary Kubiak was Mike Shanahan's offensive coordinator for many, many years in the 90s in Denver. So his system is almost identical to the Shanahan system. They are truly one and the same. Before that, you had the Vikings offensive coordinator being Kevin Stefanski, now the head coach in uh, Cleveland. Same exact offense, same exact tree. He's been uh, a disciple of Gary Kubiak as well. So this is another guy in Tyler Conklin that is familiar with the scheme, that has played in this game and that has thrived in this game. And I think that's really important when you look at these free agent signings where Jordan Whitehead is the only one that doesn't have direct connections to a schematic uh, tie to San Francisco or Seattle, but what the Jets are going to ask him to do fits his skill set perfectly. So you can easily see the transition from that. Everybody else has either been coached or played for somebody that either worked with someone in Seattle or that used to be on Seattle staff or is tied to San Francisco staff or knows them or runs a similar scheme or something. It is all connected. So this is another guy that fits in. So that leads me to my next point. The Jets now have two tight ends solid ones at that uh, when you look at Uzama and you look at Tyler Conklin. So I think we're going to see some more 12 personnel this year. I think that's where this is heading, especially with the addition of Lincoln Tomlinson on the offensive line, who's a very good run blocker. That is where this is telling me. So if you're going to run more 12 personnel, unless you fully have, uh, have every intention on cutting Corey Davis after this year, why are you drafting a receiver at 10? Well, let's see. I would still draft a receiver at, uh, well, maybe, I, all right. I would still draft a receiver at 10 just because of injuries and the uncertainty. Good point. Uh, right now, we don't have the depth. Uh, we have Barrios. We brought Barrios back, which is great. Uh, but Barrios is pretty much a pure slot. And uh, he did play a little bit outside when he was forced to because of injuries. Uh, but that just sort of highlights that injuries will happen. And we need to be a little deeper, especially towards the top of our depth chart. Uh, if more goes down, who's stepping in for him? I, we don't really have anybody to step in for him. If Corey Davis goes down right now, who's stepping in for him? So we definitely need more depth and we need more quality depth. Uh, yes, if we do more uh, 12 or multiple tight end sets. Uh, it does lessen the need for uh, another top tight, uh, wide receiver. But at the same time, we haven't really seen either Corey Davis or Moore really shine the way that we expected to, them to yet. Moore definitely flashed. Uh, Corey Davis definitely underwhelmed uh, considering what we paid him and what we were expecting from him. So nobody's really proven yet that they will work in our system as a high quality target. So that is my case for bringing in another high quality target at wide receiver at 10. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. I think that this might be an indication more answering my own point, because this was more of a hypothetical than it was me arguing for this, that I think their run game is going to be tied a lot more to 12 personnel. And when they really want to do to their drop back pass game and they need to pass and it'll be third and long, that's when it'll be the 11 personnel. That's when we'll see the sets come in. And I think you saw the Jets have to run more 11 personnel early in games last year because they were down and they had yeah. to throw to catch up. 
they weren't in the position to be playing 12 personnel the way they really wanted to. So I think this is a sign that, like I've been saying for a long time, fitting back to this defense as well, this entire team has an identity. This entire team has a vision, and it's a high-scoring offense with a good run game that sustains drives, that scores points, that gives the team a lead early, and it's a suffocating defense that gets after the pass. Once that offense has a lead, they feast on teams trying to throw. When when both of those um, groups aren't functioning the way they're supposed to and your offense can't score and your defense is playing from behind and not with a lead, they don't work. The schemes and the systems and everything, they aren't built to play that way. And I think this is the Jets realizing that, knowing that, knowing it beforehand very clearly, and now knowing that if they want things to be different, they have to attack it directly. And I'm I'm all on board with this. I think this is going to be better in the end. I still think receiver at 10 is a possibility, although I'm not 100% there yet. It wouldn't necessarily be what I think is going to happen. It wouldn't necessarily be what I would want to happen unless Garrett Wilson falls there. But we will see how that eventually plays out. Um, I do yeah. think it'll be interesting for their offense because I do think it's really going to help their run game and their play action game on top of that. I think this is where they that's where they want to generate their shot plays is they want to get their run game going early, be in their 12 personnel sets, and then they can have guys like Uzama leak down the field. Or that's when Elijah Moore is going to get the one on one outside. Uh, and I really think it just it fits overall really, really well for what they want to do. And I hope it works out. Um, let's get to the last major free agent signing they got before we go through the the re-signs and guys they brought back. And that was the Seattle corner, DJ Reed. He's a little bit of a smaller guy. He's only about 5'9", but he plays on the outside and he plays feisty, plays really well in the run game. Uh, definitely more of a zone corner than a man corner. But in this system, obviously he knows it coming from Seattle. Matt, what did you think about this signing? Uh, here's another guy that while I was watching, flashed with his eyes. He was very special out there. You could see him in press man, uh, but his eyes are always looking around. He's always got great awareness for what's going on around him. Uh, and he'll, he'll uh, drift off of his assignment and go to and use his instincts and run and click and close right to the ball. Uh, he's knows where the quarterback is going most of the time. Uh, and it's, it's great to just see him with his speed with his tenacity, just really go after it out there. Uh, and he's another guy, like you said, he's only 5'9", 188. Uh, he's not afraid to take on uh, to take on receivers or even linemen. Uh, he will come off of blocks. He disengages really well, uh, and he makes the tackle. He'll grab you by your feet, and he won't let go. Uh, he, he's also a hard hitter. Uh, but he's also got great hands, too. He's got a nose for the ball. Uh, he will tip the ball and he'll get his head around and he'll find it and intercept it. Uh, and then once he's got the ball in his hands, he knows how to run it back too. Uh, I, I like him, especially for our defense, because I think he's perfect for a defense that really wants to come after the quarterback, uh, where if their pass rush is clicking, it's going to lead to more contested passes. And Reed is the kind of guy that's going to be extremely sticky in coverage. He's always going to be on these receivers. So if you have even a little bit of an errant throw, Reed is going to be there, and he's going to make the play most of the time. Uh, I really like this this uh, signing. Yeah, I really like it too. I think it's a scheme fit. It's a guy that uh, particularly, again, like I've said more than once now, Robert Sala is familiar with from his time in San Francisco when San Francisco drafted him. 
he was originally a late round draft pick of the uh, 49ers and then was re- cut by the 49ers after a couple of years after not getting much playing time, was picked up by the Seahawks off waivers and got his chance to play when their couple of the, the two starting corners they had at the time in 2020 were both out with injuries and he never gave the job back. That's nope. that's the type of guy that the Jets want in their locker room. That's the culture they're looking for. Late round pick, waited, got his opportunity. And once he was in there, that was it. Done. You're never touching this job again. Quentin Dunbar, we don't need you anymore. We're <laughs> gone. We have DJ Reed. And is this always the best way to tell how good a player is going to be in free agency? No, I haven't gotten the chance to really get into DJ Reed's film yet outside of just watching brief highlights, which I try not to put too much stock into. But what I've seen from Seattle fans is they are hurt by this is that this was like the one guy in their secondary they really wanted to keep. And they were glad that Sidney Jones is coming back. They were able to get Quandre Diggs back, which was big. But they were, I've seen a lot of Seattle fans really upset that DJ Reed is gone because they thought he was exactly what we're saying, an ascending player who got his chance that never looked back and played great and fits in the system and does all of that well. Those are the type of guys you want to reward. And to have him leave and come to the Jets and get out of the dumpster fire that is Seattle, I'm very, very happy for him. I think he's going to be an immediate fan favorite just for being the anti-Jamal Adams of jumping ship from Seattle when things there are burning down instead of the other way around. I'm really excited uh, for his fit in this defense. I'm excited to see who's going to win the corner battle between Hall and Eccles now because I genuinely think that's how it's going to be. Um I don't think this is going to be a situation where they draft a corner early. I just do think that takes Sauce Gardner out of play for us, but it'll be really, it really though? interesting. <sighs> I think so. I re- uh, listen, listen. My hot take is that they like Eccles more than Hall. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think so as well. But at the same time, Hall has just shown so much more than Eccles. I don't disagree he- with that either. I'm not saying that I that I agree with their assessment, but I think that they really like Eccles' athleticism and they like his ball skills, and they think that he can has more of a potential down the line. Because this is the thing with Bryce Hall. As much as I loved him coming out, and I do love him in the NFL, I'm kind of worried because he was really good at playing the ball in the air in college. And his interception numbers, he's pretty sure he has one career interception. Yep. And I know he's not getting targeted much, which speaks to his coverage. And absolutely, that's a good thing. But I do kind of question his ability to generate plays in the ball and generate turnovers. And for this style of defense, they want to be opportunistic. That's that's the bend but don't break. That's the, you know, we're going to give up yards and then be stingy because they're going to generate turnovers the other end. They're going to get sacks. They're going to be aggressive. That's kind of the give and take with this defense. And so if you're not a DB that's making plays on the ball and taking the ball away, does it really fit as well for this scheme? I'm not so sure. And you're probably right that maybe he isn't. But at the same time, this was kind of his rookie year as well. True. And I think between Eccles and Hall, with their first year of actual NFL play, Hall still outplayed him. Uh, I don't disagree. So at, I feel like that those ball skills will come in time. He can develop those just as much as Eccles. Uh, we've already seen it when at his time at Virginia, so we know he's capable of it. Absolutely. Uh, so I think it's more of just a comfort and time thing with Hall. Uh, so I believe that he will solidify himself as our cornerback too.
but then we goes back to sauce now does a, a reasonable person would say yes this takes sauce out of contention but if they love sauce that much why not take him why not give us that talent at cornerback i'm not against it in in terms of adding the player i'm not against it because I, he's a very talented player. He fits the scheme perfectly. You know, I, I think that's all well and good. But this is the one thing that I didn't really think about until the other day. But, and especially with their signing of DJ Reed, really indicates me that I'm on the right track here. I think they value zone coverage more. And Sauce is predominantly a press man guy. And that's great. He's great at it. That's, and that's a valuable skill. If I was building a defense, if I was a defensive coordinator and doing things exactly how I would want them done, I would want press man corners as opposed to zone corners. But I'm not the Jets. And what I had heard from Robert Sala, again, where this is where I'm deciphering the team speak and figuring out what is true and what isn't true and what he's just saying to give a clip for reporters and not give out information and what he's really meaning and what he values during the season, they asked Robert Sala, or even before that, what are you looking for in corners? And I'm sure you remember what he said, Matt. He said ability to win on third down and ability to win in man-to-man. Yeah. DJ, DJ Reed played 75% of his snaps in zone. So you are paying him for his zone coverage ability. It's very clearly where he was better you know the type of player. It's your scheme. It's the type of scheme you're familiar with. You're from Pete Carroll yourself. That's your defensive tutelage. This tells me that the Jets want to play more zone. And I think we saw during the season, they played a lot of zone. And they really only played man on third down in certain situations, but it wasn't that frequent. You know who was uh, also really good at zone? Hall. (laughs) Hall was pretty much exclusively a zone cornerback in at Virginia. Uh he rarely was in man coverage. Right. So I think that is really in his wheelhouse. Uh I so agree. Yeah, too. I, I still think Hall is is definitely the guy going forward. Uh and just from team building, I, I feel like we have enough guys here at this point. Definitely with Gidry being bought brought back, which exactly we'll get into the re-signings next, but with him being brought back as well, I think we definitely have enough guys in that spot. I agree. All right, let's get to the re-signings here. I'll go ahead and get the list pulled up, and we can go through all the guys they brought back. Because they actually brought back a good bit of the players that they had um, that were potentially able to hit free agency. More first than I thought first, they would. Uh, yeah, me too, really. Um, first things first, they did lose a couple. They did lose Foley Fadakasi to the Jaguars. Very for happy for him to get his money. Didn't seem like he was going to be the best fit in this scheme, or the Jets would want to pay that much money to a player that didn't fit their scheme that well. Uh, but by all means, happy for him. Came in as a late-round pick, worked his tail off, never had a bad issue. Great player, going to be rooting for him. Very happy he got his money. Um, they lost Morgan Moses to the Ravens. Um, unfortunately, that is a, a tough one because that is really good tackle depth. And we saw Morgan Moses got a three-year, $15 million deal, uh, which doesn't seem like a lot, but I think he is going to be a starter there. And I think that was more important for Morgan Moses than maybe the total dollar amount was he wanted the option to play. And he's going to get the option to play in uh, Baltimore because Alejandro Villanueva just retired a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So they had an opening at tackle. They were able to go cheap and bring him in. Again, 
very happy for Morgan Moses. He was a good player while he was here. Would have loved to keep him as depth. I'm not going to have anything against him from there. And then lastly, we have Marcus May uh, going to New Orleans for, I believe, what was it? Three years, close to 30 million, if I'm remembering correctly. Something like that. I'm very happy that we didn't bring him back. So that's fine. Yes. Again, happy for Marcus May to get his money. Very happy it's not with New York. Um, uh, It's just that situation. I think that contract's insane. Yeah, it's not a good deal. He's um, not even going to play for like half the season between yeah, his injury alone, and suspension. I was going to say, let alone his suspension aside, he tore his Achilles in November. It's it's not like this was a start of the year injury. He played for I mean, a good, good for him. But... Right. Yeah. No, again, like I said, I'm happy Marcus May got his money because even, you know, suspension aside or off field issues or anything about that. He was never a troubling player while he was here. He was never, you know, seemed like he was a good teammate for all indications. Seems like he did things the right way. So I'm not going to, you know, ever be against players getting their money. But mm-hmm. I do think from the Jets perspective, paying Jordan Whitehead $14.5 million versus paying Marcus May 30 is exactly why I think the Jordan Whitehead contract is so freaking good. It because is really good. You're getting a better player for like, average money at at best average money and if he outperforms that contract and plays really well you're going to be able to reward him with his own deal or you're going to be able to let him go to another team in free agency when he's already got another two years of tread in the tires uh, i think it's great not to get again back to the re-signings uh we got tevin coleman we got braxton barrios which was the big one obviously very happy to have him back in the fold uh jeff smith was brought back on a tender Dan Feeney was brought back. Connor McDermott was brought back. Will Parks, the safety, was brought back. Elijah Riley, another safety, was brought back. Kicker, Eddie Pinero. Uh, Javon Guidry at corner. Tim Ward, the defensive end. Nathan Shepard on the interior of the line. Backup quarterback, Joe Flacco. And one of the first guys they re-signed was free safety, Mar- LaMarcus Joyner, who had an injury in week one and missed the whole season. Obviously, I think Barrios is the best of these re-signings. I think oh, when absolutely. you're looking at all of these guys, he was the most important. We had said on our free agency preview of who would they have the most issues if they lost. We had said Barrios for receiver depth, chemistry with Wilson, all of those reasons, let alone special teams. And it sounds like he's very excited to be back. I know I'm very excited to have him back. I am as well. I think Mike White as well was just uh, re-signed today, uh, brought back. So we ha- we have a complete quarterback room now. Uh, but yeah, back to, to Berrios. Uh, yeah, uh, he needed to be brought back. Uh, what he was able to do when all our other wide receivers went down uh, was great and is, is all a legend now, the legend of Berrios. Uh, it, it was a fan favorite, but besides that, he was just a great wide receiver and return man. Uh, we were saying maybe a few episodes back about how we always find these great special teamers. Uh, but then we just let them go. And it's really nice to see that we actually brought Barrios back and yep. to bring them both back after how much uh, we're, we're just like throwing crap at the wall and seeing what sticks at kicker. And eventually yeah. if, Pinero, it go, if it goes through the uprights, it's good, whether it's right? a turd or the ball, who cares? Uh, but he found his stride with us and he looked great. I mean, it, it always looks like a duck coming off his foot, but it, it finds its way between the uprights. Uh, so I'm very happy that our special teams is also solidified. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of solidification going on here between offensive line solidified, special teams solidified, uh, our cornerback group probably solidified. If not uh, close to it, we're close to it. So we're really going into the draft right now with the ability to make 
the decisions based off of options. We're not painted into any corners right now. We can go many different directions uh, at many different picks. So it's a good position to be in. Uh, but at the same time, now I'm going in my head, like, well, what are they going to do in the first round? What are they going to do throughout the rest of the draft? Uh, it, it's more open now. And that makes things a little bit more exciting. Yeah, it really does. Um, we had said for weeks um, leading up to free agency that this was going to indicate how the draft is going to go. And I think the one thing that neither of us were anticipating was that the Jets were going to go out and do so much in free agency that it was going to make the question of what they were going to do in the draft hard to answer because they filled so many of their holes. And I'm honestly, I am really, really surprised to see the Jets not spend a lot of money to players that didn't deserve it because every contract they signed is financially sound. They didn't overpay at all. The only one that could even be remotely kind of considered would be Lake and Tomlinson, considering he got about 10 million more total dollars uh, than some of the other big guards on the market, like Austin Corbett and James Daniels. But Lake and Tomlinson was the only one that was coming off a pro bowl season. And you had the addition of the connection with the jets and Robert Sala and, and all of that. So I think when you're looking at a fit and the ability to say, I'm a pro bowler and you're paying for that, did they spend a little bit of money there? Yeah but it's less than what Brandon Scherf got. And I would much rather pay Tomlinson than Scherf, let alone (laughs) if their contracts were even. So getting Lake and Tomlinson for less than the Jags paid Brandon Scherf is a great deal, let alone all the other good deals that they signed. They did a lot. And now I'm getting reports looking at the Tyler uh, Conklin contract. It's three years for 21 million. That's not nothing. That's not nothing, but that's a contributing player. That's the Jets are going to be running 12 personnel a lot. Like I just said earlier in the show, they are filling holes. They are attacking their needs. Their biggest needs. I think if you're looking at it before free agency, where the most glaring holes on this team were, were right guard and safety. I think after that, it was tight end. Three of those four were their three top free agency signings. Their other one was corner which everyone was expecting them to take in the first round. So clearly it's somewhat of a need. They did a lot and hats off to Joe Douglas for finding ways with quite honestly, not a lot of cap space that they had. It's not like that. This was like years prior where they've had 90, 85, 80, $97 million in cap space. They effectively had about 50 and They've done some they've, Joe Douglas specifically has done some masterful work. Uh, you got a sixth round pick in a trade for Blake Cashman. Yeah, that's insane. Like, I, like, I would have said like, cut him. <laughs> Just cut him. But no, he somehow. Blake Cashman was a fifth round pick who did absolutely nothing. Thievery. Not anything. And he gets a sixth round pick back for him. You know what's funny? is the Jets traded the Texans a sixth-round pick for Shaq Lawson before the season. <laughs> so that means that Joe Douglas paid for the Shaq Lawson rental with Blake Cashman. Yeah, and uh, Shaq Lawson wasn't wasn't that bad. He was, he was a contributor. Think, he, he did more in his one year than Blake Cashman could have done in his whole career. Like, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Joe Douglas, every year he has been in this role, has gotten better and better and better. And I think we really need to to recognize that and give him credit that his first free agency, okay, his first draft, we're still got some questions out, not looking the best, but if Makai Becton can hit, you're going to have at least a franchise tackle. You still have some other pieces in there, maybe, hopefully. 
Bryce Hall being one of them. 2021 free agency, we're hoping to see some good been, good things out of Carl Lawson. I think Corey Davis, even if he had some slight disappointments, I still think he can was a solid contributor and could be a solid contributor, and the contract that they're paying him is by no means crazy. 2021 draft class looks great. Now we're at 2022 free agency, and Joe Douglas has absolutely knocked it out of the park. I can't wait to see what the draft is going to be like. He, he really has. Going back to tight ends, now that we have Uzama and Conklin uh, solidified, does that really change what we do at the tight end position in the draft? Because I, I still, think so. I think so as well. Maybe not as much as you might, but at the same time, this is one of the best tight end, or maybe not best, because there's no clear cut monster at the it's tight very end. Deep though, it is very deep. Uh, so I still would not be surprised if we did not go tight end in the draft at some point. Uh, I would say maybe third round. Uh, what, what, what do you think? I would say at earliest round four, and this is really changing what I thought because before the Tyler Conklin signing, I would have penciled in Trey McBride at 38 in every Jets mock draft I would write mm-hmm. because I even I heard this again recently going back to the combine. Trey McBride met with one of um, the EA sports representatives who was the combine for Madden and she was a Jets fan. She had met with him and she had mentioned she was a Jets fan and Trey McBride goes, oh, my God, I met with the Jets. They love me. They love me so much. They're going to take me. We got to take a picture. Like, And so I had always had that in the back of my mind because it's very rare do you hear prospects outright say, this team loved me. Like, yeah, and, true. and can it be fake? Can it mean that they're not going to draft him? And they go, oh, we love him, but we don't value a tight end that highly. You don't get that many visits at the Combine. Personal visits, when you bring people into your building after the combine, that's different. You get a lot more of those. You do not get that many combine visits. So the guys that you are choosing to meet with at the combine, you have interest in. You don't choose to meet with them if you don't, or unless you have information that you want to get directly to determine whether you should be interested in them or not. The fact that they met with him and were like breaking down plays with him and showing, oh, you could fit in this role and do this in our offense and this and this and this, and specifically talking about why they loved him so much. And Ron Middleton, obviously talking about him being around him. I would have been all over that and said, that's going to happen. Now I have no idea. Now I'm sitting here going, you're paying $24 million for CJ Uzama. You're paying Tyler Conklin practically the same thing. $3 million less over three years. These guys are going to be making money. You got, $44 $44 million over the next $45 million over the next three years invested into your tight ends. I don't think you're going to take a top 75 top 70 pick. We should say considering the jets pick 69 in round three. I don't think you're going to spend a top 70 pick on a tight end anymore. I think you're going to take whoever's there in round one Oh four. And I'm hoping it's Jalen Watermeyer because I could, I could reasonably see him falling to round four. I like him maybe more than others. Um, I know, me and our friend David Wyatt Hupton are going to get into an argument eventually over who <laughs> is right about him. But I I like him a lot, and I think he's a really good fit for the system. And I think if he's there around four, he's the perfect addition. But I don't think that they're going to take somebody as early that high at 69, per se, because I don't think they're going to see the field as much. I think the Jets are going to run a lot of 12 personnel, and they could mix in some 13. But I think a third-round pick can still find ways to contribute on this team more so than a number three tight end. See, but here's the thing. Even with these two additions in free agency, it's still very important to have that depth, especially if we're going to be using that much 12. 
Because Agreed. if what happens if one of them goes down now? Now I'm not you're, sure they you're cut no Griffin longer. now. I I still would cut Griffin, uh, just because I don't really think he adds much, either as a receiver or as a blocker. Uh, yeah, sure, he's got the experience and the scheme, uh, but at the same time, he doesn't bring much to the table. We've seen him in action, and it hasn't been great. So I would still bring in somebody else, uh, especially well, you know. I'll say this. I think it really depends how the tight ends start coming off the board. If they start coming off the board earlier than people think before uh, the maybe at, at, if they start coming off at around like 38 uh, with our second pick, then I think JD gets a little itchy. And especially if he has a guy in mind, whether it's McBride or Weidemeyer or likely or Ruckert hometown guy, uh, I think that maybe accelerates his processing, uh, and maybe he goes for Ruckert in the in the third round at sixty nine. Uh, second round, I still think will be too rich for us at this point. Like you said, yeah, thirty eight was probably... forty pick. That's what we have to remember when we say second round. It's really easy to just think automatically like the middle of the second round. But the Jets' two second round picks are thirty five and thirty eight. So yeah. we're talking about premium players. Those are players that have a chance to go round one. Very rarely is there first 32 first round graded players in a draft class. If there is, it's a fantastically talented draft class. So you have guys that are going to be available at 35, 38, that could be just as good as the guys that are going at 27, 26, 25, maybe even 22, if not even a little higher. So the those picks are premium picks. And Absolutely. so you're not going to take a position there let alone not being a premium position but more importantly you're not going to take a position there that isn't a position in need you're not going to take a position there that isn't somebody that can come in and immediately contribute at an area where you have a hole so i really don't think tight end in round two is a possibility anymore i think that kills trey mcbride um as good as he would be because he was my tight end one um i settled that it, it was a decent bit of a gap between him and likely although it was uh likely is still a good player but yeah, I don't think it's going to be round two. I could see round three if there's a run at the end of round two where McBride, Likely, and Dulcich are all gone. And maybe you have um, – uh, who's the guy at Nevada? Cole Turner? Uh, Cole Turner. Maybe maybe someone surprises and takes him and over takes him too high and, and you start to see a little bit of a run. Could I see Weidermeyer at 69? Yeah. Um, it wouldn't be as good of a grade as I would give it at the top around four, but that's splitting hairs. See, but like we said, this de- this tight end group is so deep. You just met- rattled off like five or six guys right there, and there's still guys like Otten and Kohler right. and Ferguson and Jelani Woods, Calcaterra, James uh, yeah, Mitchell, yeah, Jel- Derek Jel- Jel- Yeah, <laughs> Jelani Woods is 6'9", 265, ran like four six flat, I think. Had, had a humongous vertical like that's another guy incredible that, combine right yeah and and you watch his tape and he's literally jimmy graham in uh, every good and bad way that comes with that and <laughs> it's yeah i'm I, this tight end group is is very very deep why do you have to take one in round three i just can't see that many tight ends being gone yeah it, it's the only way i see them going earlier than maybe round four or five is if they have somebody in mind who they are really in love with. 
Uh, and yeah, and going back to the picks, the premium picks in the 30s, uh, I don't know, think they really need to be on starters because at this point, we don't really have that many glaring holes. But they need that- to be on positions of need. And I think there is a difference between starters, outright starters, and positions of need. Where if we're looking at this now, I think this will be a good way to end, not to cut you off, but I think what would, like we said before, free agency, what were their biggest holes? What were their biggest areas of need? Looking at it now, I think it's defensive tackle. I think it's wide receiver and I think it's linebacker. And I don't think the, and the only spot you're going to get a starting role to fill there is defensive tackle. Yeah, it's true. Which might be uh, coming a lot sooner than people think. Uh, Not, not in the second round, but maybe even the first round. Yeah, even any edge rusher we take at four isn't going to immediately start with JFM in the fold. That that brings up a, another conversation about bringing in an edge rusher in free agency. We've been linked to Chandler Jones and maybe even a possible trade for for Hunter in Minnesota. So that, that's that's another uh, hole that might be filled soon, uh, and maybe makes things even a little bit more interesting at number four. It really does. It really does. And I think as it's hitting me, quite honestly, Matt, right now, as we're getting onto this segment here, I think the Jets are just positioning themselves with all of these premium picks that they have to just go best player available. To uh, where they don't have them? to. Uh, no, not I, at all. I can't, I can't in, a deeper, at all. in a deeper draft class that isn't loaded with star power where even the the guys at the very, very top of the class aren't as good as guys who have been at the top of the class in other years, where there have been plenty of tackles that have come out that I would have given a higher grade to than Iquano or Neal. There are plenty of defensive ends that I would have given a higher grade to Hutchinson, Thibodeau, even Jermaine Johnson, as much as I love him. He's not the highest graded defensive end I've ever seen, not even close. Garrett Wilson's by no means the best wide receiver, you know, prospect or anything like that. So you're looking at this class. It really is deep in the middle and that you have a ton of guys that are very, very good, but maybe not outright elite. And it lasts that way until like the middle around three. So why not try and fix your immediate holes in free agency and take this talented draft class when you have five picks in the top 70 and stockpile good players. That doesn't sound like a bad strategy. It does not. And it's really a strategy that I've wished we've done years and years ago. Uh, to, how winning teams operate. It's it's how everything should be done. Uh, so yeah, it's it's nice to just build talent, uh, the talent that you want rather. But just bringing in any talent is is not go- not going to suffice over the long term. You need to bring in the talent you want, and having this much draft capital when you have a team that's kind of already has its starters uh, panned out, you now have the luxury of trading up if you want to really get the guys that you want. If you have a guy like Elijah Moore that falls to a position that you didn't really see him falling to trade up and get him. If you see that happening this year, I could, I could definitely see J- JD being a buyer in the draft. Absolutely. Uh, I could, I could see, I could see him doing either. I, I could see him finding a player that's falling at the end of round one that he really, really covets and says, I want to make sure that I get this guy and I'll do what I have to to get this guy and packages both of his second rounders to get back into the first round and secure a fifth-year option on a player with a first-round deal, I could see that happening. I could also see a situation where 
some team falls in love with Iquanu by some miracle if he gets to the fourth overall pick or whoever it might be, and they call the Jets and say, well, we'll we're trying to trade up and we'll give you, you know, more assets. Joe Douglas might want to just push the can down their own further and stockpile assets for next year again and be ready to go into next year with two first round picks and any other assets that he could have. I could see it either way. Or quite honestly, they could just take the amount of picks that they have in this draft class with a talented draft class in the middle of it and just infuse talent and depth to a team that needs it. I'm there's no reason not to do that either. And the best of all, they have the option to choose now. It's not like they have to go into this draft going, we need this position. And if we don't, we are going to have a glaring hole on our starting lineup. The only one with that is defensive tackle. And you can figure that out in a hell of a lot of ways without it being the first round, even if it ends up being the first round. So I'm hats off to Joe Douglas. Yeah, really? This has been a a wildly better free agency period than I was expecting. And I my I tried to temper my expectations. Really, there wasn't even anyone in my head going into you know Sunday night where I'm thinking before like who would I absolutely really really want to grab? I really didn't have anyone that I was thinking I was going to be really heartbroken if we didn't land. But this has been so much better than I could have even ever imagined. So hats off to Joe Douglas. Absolutely, you know, it'd be a fun exercise. I right before free agency, I posed a question to Twitter saying, "Who's the one guy that you guy or the poor position that really needs to be addressed in free agency?" For you to say this was a, su- a success, and most people said wide receiver one, wide receiver one, get a Ro- get Allen Robinson, get this guy, get that guy. Uh, but I wonder if all these people would say the same thing now after seeing what Joe Douglas has put together. Yeah, I wonder. I I know that even with my anticipations in free agency, I'm pretty sure I we had said last week uh, our episode episode before after we got done talking with Gina that. They had to leave free agency with either one of a new starting safety, a new starting right guard, and a new starting tight end. They got all three. All three. Hats off. Hats off. Yeah. They got all three, and they're all great players at good deals for the Jets with potential futures. I have no complaints. I I really don't either. This, no this This is how championship teams are built. And it all starts right now with what Joe Douglas has done. If this is an indication of how the 2022 season is going to be for the New York Jets, I think we're going to be very, very happy this time next year. I would like to caution. We've had really good off seasons before and uh, come out very flat. Uh, You never know what can happen. There's injuries. Any number of things could happen. This is true. So uh, we should also temper our expectations, but, at the same time, be excited. This is this is a good this is a good time right now. Absolutely. This is the one last thing I want to say, and then we'll go ahead and wrap this up. But even in those off seasons before, like you're saying, where the Jets have had good off seasons and they've made good moves and they've added good players and it still hasn't worked out and and however that goes, a lot of times it had been because the Jets had swung and paid for the top end free agent and got him because they gave him a lot of money. This is a great free agency because the Jets are getting impact players that are going to fit their scheme, that have a designed role and envisioned role and place on the team that's going to be very obvious, that are going to come in and have no ramp-up period whatsoever, and they're all market value deals. And they're all like short. They're all two years of guaranteed money. So even if these deals don't work out, it's not going to cripple the Jets. The Jets are... Basically, the Jets are paying Lakin Tomlinson, 
DJ Reed and Jordan Whitehead as much in guaranteed money as they paid Tremaine Johnson. Yeah, yeah. So it's, if, it's, if one of those guys works out, it's a lot less big of a deal. So that's why I'm I'm really optimistic. Maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe it's it's you know blind Jets fan optimism creeping in like it always does. But I'm I'm optimistic that this is a sign that the Jets know this is their offseason to kill it. Yep. I mean, I, I don't think there's any harm in being a little optimistic. Uh, I think we have reason to be now. I think we do. Uh, and I, I wasn't really sure. Like, like you said, you, you weren't, you didn't have much expectations going in. You were hoping maybe we fill like one or two of these holes and then we go to the draft. That was and my thing. The rest. Get one of the starters at a major position of need. And we have the draft capital to figure things out from there. I didn't think that they would get three. I thought two, maybe at best, but I did not think four really. You know, it's nice that the Jets are on a team that we have somebody that we uh, thought that we had to deal with and then they back out. Uh, I'm very glad that didn't happen to us this year. It seems like everybody that's that agreed to sign here wanted to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the point to end on is that the Jets narrative is changing, at least by players perspective, because they're accepting contracts for fair market value to come to this team. They're not having to be swayed with a ton of money. And it sounds like they're on board. It sounds like they want to be here. I think Jordan Whitehead has a little bit of a Jets fan in him from his cousin Darrell Revis getting drafted and remembering what that was like. So I'm sure that this is probably special for him. I think DJ Reed obviously has a connection to Robert Sala and his time at before must believe in him as a coach and what he can be building and wants to be a part of it and is has a reason to leave Seattle. Now you look at CJ Uzama who is just on a championship team who had been on the struggling Bengals his whole career. And then the first year that they get good, he willingly leaves to come to New York. Uh, Something's there. Something's building. Something is working. And it's a testament to the guys that the jets have running the show, not only in their front office, but in their coaching staff. I really think this, this is it. I'm not going to say this is going to be the staff that ultimately, you know, turns them into a perennial winner because the AFC is turning into a slaughter fest more so than it already was. But I think these are the guys that will be running the team for a good long while. And I think they'll earn it. Absolutely. All eyes are on Zach now. That's it. That's it. Zach Wilson has gotten his help and I'm sure he'll get more of it come the draft. Um, it will be all about him and, and how he progresses into the next season. But this has been a heck of a free agency and a heck of a start to the 2022 offseason. I know I'm excited. Me too. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Maybe get into a little more depth breakdowns of how we see these guys fitting into the offense. Any other free agency, offense and defense, uh, rather. Any other free agent signings that may happen until then and of always. Well, as always, as we get closer to the draft, we'll continue to break that down. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Uh, you can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. Matt, go ahead and drop your handle. We'll call this one a show. I'm Matt. You can find me at Zazzy Jets. And make sure you guys follow at OKD Podcast as well. Again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.